0: You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. A great weekend thus far. The um, encounter retreat was uh, all day yesterday, and just talking to the various ones who were on that, uh, there was just a real sense of God's presence. And I really think lives will be changed for all eternity because of what happened on our encounter retreat over the course of the last couple of days. Um, fantastic. And uh, we're continuing our. Our thoughts this morning as we walk through the book of Hebrews Um, And we're seeing what happens to a group of people Who come under severe persecution, if you will like The bottom falls out of their world And and the author is giving them some information That's going to help them stand As a matter of fact, today We're going to zero in On how to live an unshakable life Uh, If you Have known what it's like to have your life shaken If the foundations, things that were a cornerstone to your uh, existence To the way you lived have been taken from you Or maybe you feared some things that you love being taken from you Then this morning I really ask that you lean in and listen Because we're going to learn how to set up a life How to establish a life that cannot be shaken no matter what transpires in the world today and how many know how many know things can happen that you just didn't think were gonna happen right and uh so when things happen that you weren't expecting for the negative what do you do you want to listen in this morning because you're about to find out we're turning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We're finishing chapter 12, and then next week we'll finish the whole book in the last chapter, chapter 13. He says this He says uh, in verse 18, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. He, he, just before I continue to read, he, he parallels two mountains. Basically, what he's saying is that you either live on one mountain or the other. It's a tale of two mountains. Um, you're going, we're going to see what it's like to live on this mountain And then he's going to tell us where we are If you're in Christ, you're on this mountain And he parallels the lives so, so let's, And then finally, we're going to look at how to be established on, on the good mountain uh, You haven't come to a mountain that can You have not come to a mountain that can be touched That is burning with fire To darkness, gloom, storm to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard begged, they know that begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touched the mountain, it would be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, "I'm trembling with fear." This was. Uh, Mount Sinai This was again This is written to Hebrews They understood exactly what this was referring to This was the Moses The Ten Commandments The Mount Sinai thing and Then he goes on and says But you have come So here he describes the mountain Where they are These people who he's writing to He says you have come to Mount Zion To the city of the living God The heavenly, heavenly Jerusalem You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels In joyful assembly To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Now, the only conclusion I can make that he has positioned these two mountains and said to them, You are here, not here, is because the perception of them was they were here. They thought they were living in Mount Sinai. Now I know right now I've read that and you're probably thinking, so big deal, what does it matter? This is a big deal. I'm going to explain it to you in a moment. But, but these guys were of the perception, right, by what they saw around about them, that they were living in this mountain of peril. When the reality was, for them, they were secure in the mountain of joy. Um. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in this room this morning, then you need to know that you are secure in this mountain of joy, and we're going to get into what that mountain looks like in a moment. But if you're not a fellow of Jesus, maybe you can identify with this Mount Zion uh, with this Mount Sinai mountain, this other mountain that I will explain in just a moment. But let me ask you a question first. How do you face life? How do you face troubles? How do you face the world? How do you face yourself in the mirror? Now, they are perhaps difficult questions to answer. So let me perhaps bring that question into clear view through asking a different question. Uh, Let's assume for a moment that there is a God. And I don't know everybody in the room. Obviously, you might not believe that God exists. But Obviously, this is a church and I'm a pastor, so I do. So uh, let's assume for a minute that, that there is a God and that God does exist. Okay, so here's the question on that assumption. If you were to appear before God and if God was to ask you to give an account for your life, if you had to give some kind of defense before God, what would you say? Now, The default of the human heart This is what most people would probably say If I was to do some kind of survey uh, To that question in the street They would say Well I've done my Best Right? They would say something like this I may not be perfect But I've put my best Foot forward I I may not be perfect But boy look at my family Jeez I'm better than most of them aren't I (laughs) You know that, God. If they were a Gen Y, they probably said, well, I lived and let lived. You know, I didn't judge anybody. I just, you know, didn't hurt anybody. Perhaps if they're a little bit older, they might say, well, I was ambitious and I gave to good causes. I I tried to, you know, um, preserve the planet and and look after the homeless. Maybe if they're a little bit older than that, again, they might say, I've lived a high moral life. You know, I set a high standard and I tried to live up to it. I may not be perfect, but I set a standard and I thought that was fair and reasonable and I listened to my politicians and they told me I wasn't going to hell. So I figure I must be okay. Um, The truth is, (laughs) that's a complete and utter sham. That's a nonsense. Let me explain to you why. The truth is Nobody in this room Chief of all me Has set a standard Has ascribed to a philosophy That they've lived up to Um, For example Let's take a very basic Moral rule Right Do unto others As you'd have them do Unto you Have I kept that No way (laughs) I mean Look in a few minutes' time, I'll be hopping in my car and driving to our service at Collingwood Park. Right Now, you may not be aware of this, but I know exactly how many minutes it takes for me to drive to here to there. In fact, I know how many seconds it takes. I know exactly what time I have to be in the car, and I know exactly what time I'll be arriving there, and I know exactly when they need me by. And it's the 60-kilometre speed limit all the way. Actually, actually, as you get close to Red bigger, it goes up to 70, right? But I know exactly where it changes and exactly where I have to be at any given time over the course of that 16 and a half minutes. Now, <laughs> the other day I was driving down there, as I do quite regularly, and the bloke in front of me decided he was happy to do 40. <sighs> do you think I was sitting in my car thinking... I hope he's enjoying his Sunday afternoon drive. Do you think I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder what troubles he has in his life. I wonder if he's lost. I wonder if he can't find his wallet so he's had to slow down. I wonder if he doesn't like what's playing on the radio so he's trying to find another channel. I'm not considering one iota this man's life. I'm thinking completely about myself. Get out of my way. I've got hundreds of people waiting for me. (laughs) Am I leaning into other people and have them understand, you know, trying to understand them as much as I want them to understand me? Not on your best day. Do you do that or do I do that in reality? (laughs) That's why this whole idea of saying, you know, God, I'm I reckon I can make it based on my own merit, you know. I reckon I'm a good person. I'm not, you know, you're gonna let me into heaven? Surely I've made the grade. You know, surely if you're great on the bell curb, I'm on the I'm sure I'm on the front edge of that. <laughs> no, it is indeed the sham. A- a- and he's reminding. Those people who who is writing here too about this Mount Sinai experience, and it was a negative, very negative. He, he mentions seven negative images: darkness, gloom, storm, and so forth. It's a diabolical situation. God is speaking, you know. Some people say, "Oh, you know, God spoke to me." That's, these people, God's speaking to me. Someone telling me, "Shut up! I don't want God speaking to me. It's too horrible. It's it's it's." It's too, it's too convicting. Tell him to stop. I mean, Isaiah said, woe to me. I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips when God appeared to him. When God appeared to Peter, he said, depart from me. I'm a, a sinful man. I came across an article the other day I thought was interesting. It was written by, um, uh, by a leader in a, an elite university in the States. And he was talking about the incredible internal pressure there is in the university campus for the lecturers to inflate the grades of the students and he said the reason for that is because you've got to, you know, you've got to be a certain person to get into this place and, and those students in, this, in the lecturers' classrooms they're all A students they get A's all the time they've been used to getting A's their entire life But now they're in a classroom full of people just as smart as they are. In fact, I'm used to being the smartest kid in the class, and maybe I'm not the smartest kid in the room anymore. And he was saying how if the lecturer gave them a B, their world would fall apart. It was like, I'm B, I'm I'm an A kid, I'm an A student. It was like they drew their identity from the fact that they received A's And if someone was to give them a B, it was just their world would fall apart. They would be toast. Their uh, foundation would be smashed. Because how do they face the world? How do they deal with their problems? How would they um, cope with looking at themselves in the mirror? And the answer is by recognizing that I'm smarter than most other people. How would they stand before God? God, (laughs) hey, I'm on your side. Lucky you, God. (laughs) And now, and now they're realizing I'm not as smart as I thought I was, and their world fell apart. They were shaken. You see, here's the thing in the presence of a flawless God, Your flaws show up, and you see how self-deceived, how self-centered, how small I really am. When you stand before a holy God, all of a sudden your unholiness becomes apparent to you that was hidden from you when you're in a room with a whole bunch of people who were just like you. And so this is not a this is not an adequate way to face God. This will leave you insecure and ultimately smashed. But let's just forget about God for a moment. Let's just think for a moment that how you face the world is through your own achievements, you know, what you've been able to achieve, maybe the wealth that you've been able to to acquire. I can face tomorrow because I have security in my bank balance. Or maybe, maybe you face tomorrow because you face the world, you know, maybe because you're accepted, you've got a, a, a wonderful partner, or your, 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 um, your hope is in this pursuit of Mr. and Mrs. Right. If that's the truth, then a recession or a rejection is going to leave you flawed. There is another way, there is another mountain. He's saying to these people, you have not come to this place. You've not come to Mount Sinai. You've not come to a mountain of self-effort. You've not come to a place where you're justified on what you've been able to do or what you've been able to achieve. You've not come to a place where your security is based upon your performance. He says, you've come to another place. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Verse 22. The heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, the church of the firstborn, whose name is written in heaven. Three things, did you see there? Three things characterise this mountain. Did you pick them up? Let me explain them to you. The three things that characterise the mountain where you are. They're characterised by a future, it is characterised by joy, and it's characterised by... An identity. The foundation of it is an identity. Let me, let me just elaborate on those three things quickly from the text. Um, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the first thing. The whole of the Bible is pretty much the tale of two cities. Uh, there's the heavenly city and the earthly city. The heavenly city is, is, is a society not based on power but based on peace. The heavenly city is a place not of exhaustion and oppression, but a place of joy and serenity. Oh, the serenity. <laughs> it's not based on a, a life of benefit me, but it's based on a life of how I can serve you. That's, that's the foundation of the heavenly city. It's filled with people who are, not, who are not in it for themselves. It's full of, of, of people who are in it to serve others, to serve one another. Could you imagine living in a place like this? Could you imagine living in a, in a city or in, a, in a, uh, an environment where the, operating lo, uh, where the operating principle was my life to serve you? This is what's coming, you see. This is the heavenly city. This is our home. But he uses a present tense. He says, you have come. This is not something off in the future. This is something that you can experience now. This should be the church of Jesus Christ. You see, we are a community. We may not be perfect, but then the Garden of Eden wasn't perfect. It was good. right? So it's not perfect. The church is not perfect, but but there is an operating principle here that if we get right, this can become a place of incredible joy if we could develop a system, develop a, a, an operating system. that was my life to serve you. I don't come in here and I don't, you know, I mean, this is just a very small thing, but just throw it out there. It's not where I want to sit. It's where can I sit to serve other people? It's not what I want to drink. It's, it's, it's how can I serve other people? Everything becomes not about me, but about others. This is... The reality of the church of Jesus Christ, this is the heavenly city now, in the present tense. He says, you haven't just come to a heavenly city. He says, you've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, a joyful assembly of angels. (laughs) That word joyful is quite a remarkable word. Um, You could translate that word into wild party. (laughs) You've come to a wild party. You are a wild party goer. Did you know that? That's what that means. That's where you've come. You're not living over here in this place of insecurity where you're trying to prove yourself and try to you know, garner as many likes or as much attention as you can. You're over here on an operating system where my life to serve others, a place of incredible joy. Um, do you remember falling in love? Uh, if you've been married 37 years, maybe. Uh, <laughs> if you've never fallen in love, let me tell you about it. Uh, When you're in the arms of somebody or you're just sitting beside the person who adores you and you adore them, right? When you're in this environment of adoring one another, can you remember this? Can you remember looking at your watch and it was 9 o'clock and looking at your watch and it was 2 a.m.? Or was that just us? Uh, (laughs) It's kind of like... Five hours, disappeared. Like that. Phil can remember it. It Because Phil and Tammy, it was just last week. But uh, (laughs) he hasn't got a very good memory. That's why I know that. But but, uh, my my, my simple point is, is that when you are in the presence of somebody who is completely in adoration of you, and you're completely in in adoration of them, that's kind of like eternity. Is time is no more. Time just all of a sudden loses its meaning. All of a sudden, it's just not like, how much longer is he going for? You know, <laughs> it's not, How much longer did I get some morning tea? All of a sudden, your clock doesn't matter. Uh, as a matter of fact, next time you look at your clock, you're going to get a shock. Because right now, you've kind of transitioned into an eternal type of place. This is a place of euphoria, this is a place of joy. Now, now, uh, hold this thought. Let me, let me read to you from John 17, Jesus' prayer. He says, uh, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world begun. So what he's saying is, is that this glorify me in your presence is kind of like adore me in your presence as, as I adored you and you adored me before the, in eternity. He's given us a glimpse into eternity right there. That's where time is no more. Now, stay with me because this is going to get very interesting in just a minute. You see, God's a trinity, right? God in three persons, blessed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If he was a singular being, he would not know that joy of loving relationship unless He created something, because that's not an experience that's possible on your own. But the fact that he was a Trinity, the fact that he is multiple personalities in a singular form, the fact that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, tells me this. That he could experience that euphoric joy. He could experience that sense of eternity. He lived in that eternal place. So he didn't create you and I to experience it. I could only come to one conclusion he created you and I to spread it. He thought, this is so remarkable. We cannot keep this to ourselves. I'm going to create man after my own image so he can come in and people and hundreds upon uh, millions upon billions of people can come in and enjoy this experience that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in this divine dance, as C.S. Lewis puts it. The rest of the universe is in an unbelievable party, he says. He calls it the dance, the dance. He says there's a great ocean of joy And we are stuck in a speck of darkness and brokenness But the shadows of this world will not be able to keep joy out forever One day the joy that the universe experiences in oneness with God Will break into this earth And we will experience God's glory in our hearts as we glorify him And we receive his glory in its fullness. But he's talking present tense, and he he seems to be insinuating to these people that there is a drop of this nectar on your dry tongue now. This incredible experience of being glorified, of being adored, of being embraced by the creator of the universe is not just something that's going to happen someday. There is a dimension in which you can experience it now. There is a future that is unshakable. There is a joy that is unshakable. And he says this, there is an identity. This is all undergirded by an an identity that is unshakable. Jesus is a better identity. He says, the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. This is where you are. If you're in Christ... Right, You are in Mount Zion, you were in Mount Sinai You were in this place of insecurity Where it was all about trying to prove who you are It was all about trying to get the, the adoration and the affection of man But you were never quite sure if they were for you or against you And mostly you felt like there was nobody on your side And so you pursued some kind of meaningless pleasure To bring some happiness into your rather forlorn heart That's that, that's that mountain He says, you're not there anymore. You're over here in this mountain. You're over here in this this city of God that that, that is for eternity, this place of of incredible joy and unmistakable identity. Where he says here, the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, Um, your mind or my mind anyhow is taken back to... When Jesus was walking the earth, a few years before this was written, a couple of decades before this was written, actually, and, um, and he had followers, 70 of them, and he was preparing them for his departure. He was preparing them to, to, to impart his presence and power to people, and he sent them out. And they saw incredible things happen, and they came back, and you you know, there's the seven of them, which is quite a number, really. Seven of them started to gather. You know, they were they were laughing and slapping each other on the back, and how clever are we? How great am I? And they're telling one another stories. You know, one was telling a story about how he, he how this this guy was slithering on the ground like a snake. He touched him, and all of a sudden, this demon came out of him, and he stood up, and he was his right mind. He was insane, and in a moment, he's he's, uh, he's sober, and and and, and in in his right mind, it was incredible and another one's telling a story well we came across a guy and he was lame, he couldn't walk and I grabbed him by the hand and I I helped him up and he ran off, it was incredible and so they're regaling one another with these incredible war stories of the power of God and Jesus gets quite stern with them Jesus cuts across the party and he rebukes them and he says don't get a sense of who you are based upon what you've done rejoice rejoice he uses this same phrase. Rejoice for your names are written in heaven. And what he's saying? He's saying, get out of Mount Sinai. Come over here to Mount Zion. Get out of that, that place where you're rejoicing in your own sense of accomplishment. Don't rejoice because, you know, i got a great job, got a great family, drive a nice car, live in a great house. Oh, I'm just so thankful to God. Live in Australia, I'm just so thankful to God. All these good things, I'm so thankful to God. I'm educated, I'm somebody. You know, i got a supermodel wife. We can't all have one of those, you know, or whatever it might be. i got this, I'm just so, you know, I'm so blessed. He said, don't. Draw your joy Don't draw your identity From those things Because those things can be gone next week How many know that? How many know man You can be on the precipice of being prime minister One minute and the next minute You're just a backbencher You know what I'm saying (laughs) How many know That when you think something's going to happen And you're oh oh, hey I'm pretty cool One minute (laughs) You're a rooster Next minute you're a feather duster (laughs) It's true isn't it And if you're in Mount Zion right, You're in that first mountain You're dead You're going to live a life of insecurity And and, and disappointment and heartache And and the author is inviting us to this mountain This mountain is unshakable This is where we live he uh he talks about being the, the the firstborn and why that was so significant to those that he wrote to was because the firstborn got all the inheritance you know the firstborn he, he wasn't insecure about his future because everything was coming to him he was he was quite you know, the firstborn was quite fortunate. He's saying, That's you are the firstborn. You get the inheritance. You get all of Jesus Christ. You don't have to divide him up between three million or, or two billion people. You get him all. This is great news, folks. This is incredible. You're not just set for life, you're set for eternity. <laughs> There's a joy. That you can know that comes from this deep sense of being adored, being glorified and glorifying another, that is transcendent. There is an identity that is not based on the value judgments of this world, but there is an identity that you have in heaven. So the question is, how do you transition from one mountain to the next? Fair question, right? You might be thinking Well I feel like I'm living over here In Mount Sinai just a little bit I'm up and down and up and down Based on the circumstances of life You know I'm praising God When things are going well And when things aren't going so well I'm a little bit despondent, disappointed I'm not sure which mountain I'm living on How do I transition from that mountain To this mountain a very good question And I'm sure the author As he was writing this out Thought to himself I bet They asked this question, so I'd better answer it. So let's have a look. He says, This this is this is how. You have come to God, the judge of all. Oh, that's it. Thank God. We're being judged. (laughs) To the spirit, I'll continue to read. To the spirit of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the me the mediator of the new covenant and the And to the blood sprinkled that speaks a better... There's a whole series right there. A better word. Jesus is a better word. Amen. (laughs) That speaks to a better word than the blood of Abel. God's a God of judgment. Amen. (laughs) See, what what happens... Let me me explain this transition to you if you didn't quite pick it up there. Um, God allows everything in your life to be shaken to see what can't be shaken so that that which can't be shaken remains mm-hmm. god shakes things shakes things up Remember when i was a kid i probably shouldn't acknowledge or admit to this but when i was a kid i was in this cave and in this cave there were stelic tights and stelic mites right you know what i mean by those how many stelic tights come from the top and stalactites mites come from the bottom. Did you know that? Well, yeah, I've just taught you up if you didn't, but there you go. <laughs> They're mighty from the bottom. I mean, anyway, I remember that as a kid. Anyway, have you ever wanted to shake them to see how, how sturdy they are? Well, I have. And uh, <laughs> but can I snap this off and put it on my, board, on my bedroom wall? I try, Very, very tough. Very, I shook it, shook it with all it was worth. I couldn't budget one iota. I tell you what, those things are stronger than concrete. They are stronger than reinforced concrete. They are incredible. But I shook it to see whether or not it could be broken. And I just want you to know that God shakes things, to see that which with, see what is within you will stand, and He's just told you what will stand, right? You, you've just, now you understand what will stand. because rest assured, take this one to the bank, your life's going to be shaken. Just take that to the bank, all right? Don't wake up one day, oh, my life is shaken. No, no, take it to the bank. Your life will be shaken. Things that you thought were foundational, were cornerstone, will one day be gone. That's the world we live in. The question is this, will you remain? Will you have, will you be the unshakable person? You know, when Jesus was crucified, um, uh, on the cross 2,000 years ago, right? Darkness covered the earth, the rocks were split in half. Um, an earthquake, literal crust of the earth, started to, started to rattle backwards and forwards. And, and this was not just the heaven trying to bring pathos to the moment, right? It was not sort of like angels in heaven saying, you know, uh, cue, cue, cue the sun, okay, block it now, start the earthquake, start splitting rocks. No, no, what was happening here? Very important. What's happening here is the first mountain. Jesus was taken to Mount Sinai, a place of fire and judgment, a place of darkness and separation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was taken to this first mountain. Why? So that you and I can live at the second See, He came to this earth not to judge it But to be the judgment of the earth The judgment of the earth was placed on him Some people say well all religions are the same you know, You've all got your golden rules You've all got your ethics and your principles and your morals How wrong Can people be Most religions Of the world All religions outside of Christianity Have indeed a creed, a moral standard And it's up to you, can you live up to that Can you, can you meet uh, the code and, and then most people live insecure. Do I get there? Don't I get there? Do I get there? But Jesus Christ is different. Jesus Christ was shaken so that you might be unshakable. See everything that you're looking for, and we're all looking for something. let's be honest, everybody's looking for something. Security? You know, um, Who did you vote for yesterday? You probably voted for the, for the group you, your perception was would give you the most. Security. Would secure the future of our nation the best. That's probably what would influence you because it's what we're looking for. We're looking for, people are looking for romance. Um, You know, there's people going from one party to another all the time looking for this. This euphoric sense of someone adoring me. He doesn't adore me anymore, maybe he does. She doesn't adore me anymore, maybe she does. And, and, and people are looking for what that places within them. They're looking for, for um, uh, experiences and entertainment and music to transcend them beyond, beyond the experience of the day. In reality, what they're looking for is Mount Zion. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for joy. They're looking for identity. They're looking for this new Jerusalem. If you want to get in on this ultimate power, if you want to have this final identity, if you want to know what it is, so that you have a joy that cannot be shaken, and there is a relationship between you and God, so that prayer doesn't become something you do. Prayer becomes a place that you go. It's not something that I do because I'm in a crisis, you know, and do you know any prayers, our Father which art in heaven or whatever? Prayer becomes a place where I go. It's a place of communion, it's a place where I adore him and where I receive his acceptance. How do I find that? Well, I accept the fact that Jesus was shaken. Jesus was judged so that I can have a kingdom that is unshakable. Jesus went to the first mountain to secure my position on the second. The unshakable mountain of Zion. Let's bow our heads together. We're going to pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast.